We'll be looking at the scriptures with us this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we started Colossians just a few weeks ago, and we are teaching through this letter that Paul wrote from prison to the church at Colossae, um, a, a city that had a lot of travelers through it, but was um, really not a significant place in and of itself. Um, and, and Paul is writing to a church that he has not yet visited and did not plant but is writing as an apostle with, with authority to encourage them. Um, there's a lot to like about the church at Colossae. It's a young church, most likely under 10 years old. And, and Paul is encouraging them and has some warnings for them as well. And so one of the reasons that we preach through books like this is it allows um, each sermon to kind of be knit together um, with the previous sermons and to prepare the way for future sermons. And so we've spent uh, the last month really looking at chapter 1, and this week we'll, we'll um, cross over into chapter 2. So I'll, let's pick up. Um, I'm actually going to read the last two verses of chapter 1, 28 and 29, and then we'll move over to chapter 2. Paul writes, Him we proclaim, meaning Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so as chapter 1 really kind of laid out um, just a, a, a prayer, there was, there was poetry, right? this kind of creedal statement, and he's holding Jesus up and saying, listen, you're going to need the significance and the weight and the depth of who Jesus is because there are difficult circumstances and there, are, there is suffering. And now he's beginning to move into some application for them. But he wants to continue to hold up Jesus while also drawing our hearts and our focus and our attention to how we then live in light of this. And so really what I want us to initially note is this idea of effort and struggle and toil that we see in verses 28 and 29 in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Right? That he's, he's talking about this active um, energy that he is expelling, that he is toiling, that he is working, that he is struggling. It's not simply, so I sat down and wrote you a letter today. Right? It's, it's, there's this idea of just energy being expended of pain. And we know, listen, that Paul's life was not free from conflict, that he had lots of detractors and those who pressed on him that were constantly pushing against him, that were false teachers, that he bodily was affected multiple times, that he was in prison, that he was shipwrecked, um, and, and, and honestly, simply interceding and praying on behalf of people takes effort and energy and work. Our minds are easily right moved on to something else. And so he's simply saying, I'm expending energy and effort 
on your behalf. There's been money spent. There's been travel. And really, where this would maybe take our minds, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Paul is also writing here, and he says this at the end of chapter of verse 10. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And this idea that we see here is that Paul says, listen, I work really hard. I toil a lot, but it's the grace of God that anything happens, that He works within me, that He works um, on behalf of anything good. It is by the grace of God that I am pouring out this energy and this passion, and, and He's doing it to a church He's never met, right? to people He's not yet seen face to face. And so, you know, it's, again, we, we don't plan things like to be on this passage this morning, but it's, I think it's good for our hearts to be reminded that, that we have four folks from our church this morning who are ministering to a people and to a church in Mexico City whom we don't know face to face. And yet you are, to some degree, doing what Paul is here of toiling and praying on behalf of someone whom you have not seen and may not see on this side of heaven, right? That, that we're praying on behalf of them. Just a few weeks ago, we spent time on a Sunday morning praying for the church in Afghanistan, right? Very likely that we will not meet many of our brothers and sisters in Christ on this side of heaven, and yet we would want to pray and toil and ask God to work in their lives and on their behalf for the church in Afghanistan, for the church in Mexico City, right? For the church in Border, Texas, right? that there has been energy and effort and money and expenditures given to allow people that you may not meet to see the beauty and the truth of Jesus. Even in our own community, right? That there are those that we don't, that don't yet know Jesus that due to uh, meals in your homes, due to money that's spent, due to an awareness, due to just prayer on their behalf, are not only going to come to know Jesus, but they're going to become a part of the family here. Right? That you'll, we'll look back and go, I, I can't believe there was a day where you weren't a part of this. And yet it was that God has continued to, to reach and to pursue and to rescue. And those are not passive things. We put forth energy and we do active work and then we trust the grace of God. Right? It is not by our strength or our merit. It is by the grace of God and yet we are not passive in this. So why does Paul start with all of this idea of effort and struggle and even suffering? We find it in verse 2, right? He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to be unified and knit together. He says, um, why do I struggle? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He says, I want, I want you to be encouraged in your heart. Now listen, as Americans, we hear that, and we hear, I want you to feel encouraged. We, we think of it in emotive language, right? Emotions with our heart. But when, when Jews were talking about the heart, they were talking about like the center of your being, like the thing that matters the most, that, that impacts all of life. What he's saying is, I want you to have deep assurance and knowledge and understanding that affects every part and every aspect of your life. I want you to feel that deep 
within you. Right? That it's not um, thrown to and fro by your emotions, but that you're anchored to it, and you're anchored to it in Christ. You'll notice he says, I want you to do it together, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together. Listen, the Christian life is not meant to be done alone. Like, can you grow and know more about Jesus by yourself? Yes. But the language of the New Testament, the language of Scripture is communal. That we are a family, that we each bring um, a part and a function and a role, that we need one another, that none of us, none of us, no matter how seasoned or mature in the faith, have all the gifts, that we have all the things that we need. We need to live out the one another's of Scripture together. We need to be knit together um, to, to see who Jesus is and what He's doing. It's why you would pray for your children, that they would have right, godly friends. Right? You know the influence is, is more challenging when someone is alone and on an island. They're more easily affected and more easily swayed. That's not just for kids. Right? That's, that's for all of us, that as we can be assaulted by the circumstances of this world and this life, if you are on an island to yourself, you are far more likely spiritually to fall. And there are false teachers who are affecting the church at Colossae. And he's going to tell them, listen, you want to be knit together. Because in that, you're going to see more of Jesus revealed, and you're going to be able to bear one another's burdens. You're going to be able to hold each other up. We do this together. You can picture Paul here being like, like an, a, coach, a coach or an encourager. right? That he is telling them, I've seen some things. I'm trying to help you as this young church, as new believers, to make it. Right? And so maybe it, you, you've seen this with someone taking um, a young kid hunting for the first time. And the kid's going, this, like, why are we being quiet? Why are we wearing this stuff? Why are we out here so early? Why is it dark? Like, and, and they're thinking, this isn't going to work. Like, there's no animals out here. And the, yet the older hunter just knows a thing or two. It's seasoned and is able to encourage, to kind of coach him up and say, trust the process, right? You, you can imagine this in cross-country where someone's learning to run and they're trying to, to, to have a coach that says, listen, on mile two, you're going to come around the, and there's going to be an incline. And at that point, you're going to want to quit. But here's, what you, like, here's how you conserve energy and here's what you do, um, right? To have a coach who's, who's seen something and, and knows how to help you. Maybe you think about this in regards to a financial planner who's encouraging you. I know you don't feel like you're putting much away, but where you're going, you're going to get to your goals. Right? Like that we have the tendency alone to, to just kind of go, ah, it's not worth it, and to, 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 to throw the process away. We need people further along than us. We need people who have seen something and seen God be faithful right, to help us move. And so we, we need that in seasoned believers. Parents play that role in their kids. You know, when they have their first heartbreak at age 12, and they're like, I'll never love again. And you're like, you aren't loving now. Right? Like, that, that you're like, I've, I've seen some things. I can, I can help you through this. I can, I can guard you. I can guide you. Paul is telling them, listen, I, need, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be knit together in love. Because my goal is for you to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of, of God's ministry. Why? Why is he wanting to pour out this energy to encourage them and knit them together? 
so that they'll know Jesus fully, to the depth and the beauty of who He is. Like the reason He's doing this, the reason He's wringing Himself out, the reason He wants them knit together is so that they'll get more of Jesus. Right? There are false teachers among them. And so what He's telling them is this. They're going to they're tell you that there is spiritual experience to be had apart from Jesus. And He's not going to deny that there are spiritual experiences to be had. He's simply telling them the only spiritual experiences you need, that you could want, that will benefit you, are found in Jesus. He is the source of all of it. And He is sufficient for all you need spiritually. There's nothing to be found, right? Because remember, He's Lord over all of it. Over all of creation. He holds it all together. There's nothing above Him, so there's no experience that we could have that is not found in Him that would minister to us spiritually. He's trying to get them to heed the warning. Like that you can be deceived. You can be persuaded. There are people who are slick, right? Even Jesus tells us, listen, if it was possible to lead the elect astray, right, there are those who would do it through their power and through their words. They're going to come to distract you, try to persuade you, to dissuade you from following Jesus. That we need discernment. We need access to the Spirit. We need one another as we test the words that are being given by those who would claim Christ and actually are not following Christ and are looking to lead you astray. Let alone those who would not claim Christ and would attempt to, to convince you not to call Him Lord either. That He's warning them. And He's reminding them that wisdom, right? Like God has built the world to work a certain way. And wisdom, simply put, is like having practical application and seeing how God has knit things together and then acting on it, right? It's walking in the way that God has wired the world, right? That we have left the domain of darkness and we are in the kingdom of light. And so because of that, that we see things differently and we relate differently, right? Like we can imagine those who are still in the domain of darkness going, why would you forgive someone, right? Like they hurt you. You should get, re- you should get revenge. And yet, the way that God has worked the world, that we see the power of forgiveness. We see the hope that comes, right, in that. Then in all of these ways that He's saying, I want you to have wisdom so that you can navigate the relationships and the circumstances and the situations of life in a way that shows that you trust God in the way that He's built the world. It's to bring credit and glory and honor to Him. Again, he, we saw this in chapter 1. He says it again in verse 3. He says, I want you to know, have knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? Like last week, we, we walked through what this looks like. That, that for a period of history, we knew God was going to redeem. But we weren't sure how. We couldn't see how the sacrificial system, the nation of Israel, the prophets, all these things would play together. And if you've ever watched a movie where the whole time you're trying to figure out what's going on, and then they drop towards the end that one piece of the puzzle in, and your brain kind of explodes, you're like, oh, it all makes sense. He's saying that's the role that Jesus has played in human history. 
that the mystery that was hidden is no longer hidden because in the life of Jesus we see all the pieces come together that in the sacrificial system it was pointing us to the one sacrifice that would be done once and for all and then Jesus would sit down at the right hand of the Father. That in the temple, this place where God would dwell, but it would be like stuck there and, and we would not be able to access it. Right? So now Jesus comes. Right? God, man, and dwells among us. That all of these pieces come together in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He said, I want you to know that it's not just, oh yeah, Jesus saved me. But that there is a mine there. There's a depth of riches for you to spend the rest of your life and the rest of eternity coming to know Him. So this morning, if you think you know all there is to know about Jesus, you're wrong. Like, and not in a, an offensive way, and there's so much more. He's actually far better. He's far deeper. He's more loving. He's more gracious. He's more everything. And we can just turn and take another look and another glimpse and, and continue to dive deeper into the knowledge of who He is and what He's done because He is the One who holds everything together. He is Lord and Creator of the universe. Let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit. Um, it's, our time in Yemen is realizing it's, it's further and further in the past. Um, but when we moved to Yemen back in uh, 2005, the end of 2004, 2005, um, I knew one word of Arabic. And we were going to be in language school four hours a day. But we had like a three-week period early on where we would not yet start school, and so we just were going to have to kind of navigate in a place that basically had no English. And so you realize how little pantomiming works in real life, right? That it just doesn't really get the point across. And so one morning... Um, I come out of our apartment. We haven't started language school yet. And listen, I went with, with, with fears and the assumption that I'd have to look over my shoulder all the time. And, and I had been influenced by media and just in thoughts of Islam and in the Middle East. And I walk out my apartment and I'm looking to buy uh, something at a little shop. And these two men, as soon as they come out, they start pointing at me. These, they're older guys. And they start yelling and screaming and like gesturing at me. I'm like, well, that didn't take long, right? I guess this is going to be the day I die, right? And Because my, my assumption was like they're arguing about who gets to kill me. And so I determined that what I needed at the shop was not that important, and I go back in the apartment. And next morning, I go out, and the same thing happens as soon as I step outside. And so I'm like, okay, what's, what's going on here? So I decided, well, maybe I just happened, like they're just always arguing. So the next morning, I look out my window. They're sitting there having like a cup of tea. They're both fine. As soon as I step outside, the argument erupts. They're pointing, gesturing at me. And so then I go back inside, and I look out the window, and it stops. So I'm like, okay, I am, I am clearly the source of this conversation. And after like four or five days of it, I'm kind of like, hey, if you're going to do something, like, let's just roll. Like, let's just, if we got to do it, let's do it. So we finally start language school. And some of the first words you need, um, are besides like, where's the bathroom, are some food words. And we, le we learned some words for bread and different types of bread. And, and the next time I go out and these men are yelling, I, I'm recognizing 
I don't know much Arabic, but I'm recognizing they're, they're using the word bread a lot. So here's what was happening in that conversation. These two men were both retired bakers. And one of them made chubs, this flat kind of uh, tortilla-style bread. And the other one made ruti, which is like a French bread, a long breadstick. And the conversation was basically this. Hey, my, your bread is trash. No, my bread is awesome. No, your bread is horrible. Hey, let's ask that big guy over there because he, right, he's never tried either one of our bread. Right? And so what I thought was like this deadly, like they're just trying to figure out how they're going to kill me conversation is really two old men like mocking each other about how good their bread is and how bad the other one's is. And I was an unbiased, like Western guy that could be a judge of it. And they wanted me to sample their bread. So, listen, like literally, like a tiny bit of knowledge changed that whole circumstance from being this fear-based thing to having a deep assurance of what was going on. What Paul is trying to communicate here is, listen, as we pursue the depths of Jesus found in Scripture, in the gift of His Spirit, Right, that when, the, when circumstances arise in this world that would look to shake us, that would look to create fear, that would look to break us down, would look to create doubt, that we can be deeply anchored and rooted in the assurance because of the knowledge that we have of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Right, but the only reason that that ever went from being a fearful thing to a kind of a funny thing that is a little bit embarrassing to share is because there was effort put in to gain knowledge. Right? There was, an, there was effort put in. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, I am wringing myself out for you people so that you would be united and encouraged, so that you would know that you should pursue the depths of who Jesus is, so that you can be rooted in Him until He returns. That you would have Him and be anchored in Him and be secure in Him. And so I was then able to walk in wisdom Right, regarding the actual reality that was happening and was not misinterpreting the re- reality that was different for them and for me. So what he's saying is, I want you to have the wisdom to deal with the world as it actually is, not how, simply how you might perceive it to be and be missing it. All right, so how do we do this? Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He simply says, listen, here's what you do. You've received Jesus. Now keep walking in it. Keep living in light of it. Keep walking in it day by day. And I think for for too long the church in America has made um, faith like this finish line, right? Like that we get there and we believe the thing and we know the thing and now you're secure and right, go do your life and whenever you die, like, like God will make sure you don't go to hell. And we've, we've, we've separated what the actual truth of Scripture is is it says, hey, you, this thing you've received, walk in it. It should transform you. It should, it should affect every decision that you make. It should affect your heart, right? All of your decisions, in all of your life, and you should walk in it. Walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith. 
Listen to how Psalm chapter 1 describes this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like shafts that the wind drives away. Like Psalm 1 basically says, we want to be a rooted people. As we are rooted and have access to the nourishment and the water that we need, that we then grow and are built up and we put off fruit. It's John 15. This says, right, that He is the vine and we are the branches. If we're connected to Him, we cannot help but be transformed to look like Him. Right? And so there is energy and there is effort expended on our part to pursue Him, but it's by His grace that we look like Him. Because we've received Him by grace, and it is by grace that the Spirit ministers to us through the Word, and it's by grace that we grow in Him, but it is not a passive thing. It is an active step and intent. And sometimes we confuse saying, I know some facts about Jesus. I know I should read the Bible. I know I should pray. I know I should do some things with doing them. And he says, no, no, I want you to walk in these daily. I want you to walk in Him so that you'll be rooted, built up, and established just as you were taught. He's talking about just faithful consistency. And let's be honest, that's super boring. Right? Like there is a part of us that we want the novel, new, trendy thing. Right? You think about a diet and you're like, hey, you see someone that's lost weight, and you're like, hey, how'd you do that? Well, here's what you want them to say. Well, it's pretty hard. Um, you have to have dessert every day, a cheeseburger at least every other day, um, right? You've got to sleep probably 10 or 11 hours a night, um, and it, but at least once a month you've got to go to the gym for 20 minutes, okay? Right? You want them to say something that sounds incredibly enjoyable and easy and fun, and look at how effective it is. Like, that's, that's what we want. And yet, that's not, right, how things work, right? It's, it's the faithful decision, day after day after day after day after day, that pays off for the long run, because it makes us who we, who we are. And so that can go from saving money, right, just putting a little bit away, putting a little bit away, putting a little bit away. Right, that goes to farming, Right, that a farmer doesn't plant his field and walk out the next morning and expect it to be a crop ready to harvest. Right? There is there's effort and intentionality and energy poured in that has a harvest down the road, whether financially, whether physically, whether agriculturally. Right? We put energy and attention into our kids, right? believing that the trajectory for the long haul will be they won't be crazy pagans, right? that they feel like they are in our homes, right? like that we're doing these things believing that the day in, day out, faithful consistency will pay off. Church, our spirituality is no different. There is a simple formula that's just not easy, and it's pursue Jesus. Pursue Him in the way that He has revealed Himself through His Word, knowing that you have the Spirit to encourage you, to give you wisdom, to give you discernment, to guide you. Listen to, this is Isaiah 33, verse 5 and 6. 
Like when we go to the Scriptures believing this, that the Lord is exalted for He dwells on high and He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the stability of your times. How much do we want that? Abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Like Paul is saying, pleading. Would you pursue Jesus? Like you're going to find an abundance, a wealth of treasure in Him for your soul's benefit, for your circumstantial benefit, for your life. Approach Him. Know Him. Seek Him. It's not necessarily the easiest thing or the flashiest thing, but it works. And it changes us and it transforms us so we become Christ-like. Just a couple of thoughts as we end. It means, though, that we don't approach Scripture with an agenda. right? Making sure that we read it through our lens and our filter. We approach Scripture with the agenda of knowing Jesus. Of knowing more about Him. right? So that we, like Paul can say, like in verse 6, Therefore, as you received Jesus, the Lord, walk in Him, Right, and so we're like, okay, right, we could, how quickly could we move past that idea that Jesus is Lord? But what is he summarizing there? What's he summarizing? Chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the body, the church, in verse 18. For, in verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Um, in verse 27. Right, that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Right, he's saying in that term Lord, he's going, there's a lot to unpack. Like that we don't go to Scripture with our agenda, we go for Jesus to be revealed to us as to who He is and what He has called us to do. That we don't go to it with an arrogance to say, yeah, 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 I've got that mastered. But we go for it to master us because we have a Lord who is shaping and refining us more and more into the image of Jesus. To give us assurance, to give us intimacy and relationship with Him, and to put us on missions that others would be exposed and would know this Jesus, that others would benefit. Church, that we would go to hear the voice that will actually transform, encourage, and disciple us. Because the honest truth is, is we have a lot of voices coming at us right now. In media, in politics, in the medical world, in the community, like, there's a lot of voices seeking your attention. And if those voices are getting all the hours of the day and all the hours in the week, then they are discipling you. And they are not discipling you to give you assurance, or to give you peace, or to give you hope, or to give you salvation. They're looking to create concern and fear. Right? Listen, this doesn't mean we bury our head in the sand, that we don't have a picture of what's going on in the world. But that the voice that matters to us is the one who has taken us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That He gets primacy. That He directs and guides and gives the assurance and the anchoring that our souls desperately long for. And that ultimately we know that God is then glorified because we're trusting Him, we're seeking Him, we're knowing Him, we're depending on Him, just as right a good boss or a good parent or a good coach 
like takes pleasure in seeing people trust what they're saying, depend on them, do the, the thing, and like get the results of it. God is pleased when we walk in a manner that shows that we trust Him, that we love Him, that we want Him, that we need Him. And so it ends with this in verse 7. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, that we live in the gratitude that we are a rescued people who are known by the one who holds all things together, who are rescued, and who are loved. That you're a loved people, a rescued people, a known people by the God of the universe. So hold this image of Jesus from chapter 1, this big picture, and then walk in that day in and day out, knowing that you will be transformed. And your actions, and your, your mind, and your thinking, and your emotions in every aspect of life, for your good and for the glory of God, for the good of those around you. Let's pray. Father, so often we come wanting a shortcut. We come wanting there to be um, some easier thing. And God, You've given us the step to pursue You. You've given us Your Spirit to encourage us, to guide us, to comfort us, and You've given us Your Word. God, will we not be a people who can distract others because we know a little bit and it can make it look like we're pursuing you. But would we be a people who have voracious appetites for you, for your word, your spirit, that we would trust and depend that we will be transformed by you, that we will look more like you, that you will be glorified by that, we will be rooted and assured, and that others will benefit because they'll see Christ in us, and that we can speak to the hope that we have. God, would we not leave this morning arrogant because we um, are able to check a box every morning and read our Bible, but would we go hungry for more? God, for those who struggle in, in daily rhythms, Father, would, you, would we not carry weight or guilt or condemnation, Lord, knowing that's not what you're putting on us, that you're just telling us there's a better way. There's more to be had, and that's where we find it. So God, would we repent of where we have been too dependent upon ourselves and trust that you are sufficient and that we want you? God, give us favor as we read that we would see you, see the benefit of it. In Jesus' name, amen.